Hey y'all, Zoe here. Just wanted to give a quick intro to a cool podcast you guys might want to check out from our friends over at Trilunus Studios. Their podcast is called Counterbalance, and it's an immersive high fantasy audio drama podcast series written by Kassir Rilinki. Definitely give it a listen. Check it out. Super, super cool. Just catches your imagination. But anyway, check it out and give them some love as well. Hello, Ariel. Did you want to listen in on me and Rock enjoying ourselves? Don't encourage Should I describe to you what we're doing Um, right now? (laughs) What's going on? Let's see. Look, these wind shells document anything you do in order to banish the spirits. I don't banish spirits. I'm fixing the tango. Of course, we can't open a new hole into the Aetherweb every year. But spirits aren't always bad. Are Those they? are exactly the reason Tangleweeds happened in the first Akasar, place. I'm sure Rocka knows how to get through a water gate without disrupting the magic balance. So what happens when there's a hole in the weave? Does magic <laughs> pour out? It is already broken! Let more of air into this world! I'll destroy Wait, every no, single no. one of them! You've had enough already! I will kill you, you filthy Whoa, little... whoa, whoa! Come down, Try it, fellow jester! God, ferocious runemaster! Your friction will grind the weave away! <sighs> Yarta. In moments like these, I wish I could see the runes. What's wrong, Raka? Is that Tangleweave maybe too difficult even for someone as great as you? Counterbalance, a high fantasy audio drama. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts from. to the Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Okay, here we are live. I guess not live, but we are back. We're on the air. We're on the air. That sounds so professional. On the air with Zoe and Mac. Anyway, hi everyone. You're on the air. NPR voice. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome back to the Maniculum Podcast with Zoe and Mac. We're weird medievalists who take weird medieval tales and turn them into weird TTRPG campaigns. Just for you. There we go. The pose also helps. Yeah, you gotta gotta put your fingers next to your ear. Anyway, (laughs) hi everyone. That's who we are. That's what we're doing. (laughs) And we are back this week. With more Marie de France. But before we jump into her and her weird lays, we do want to remind everyone, <laughs> Max still losing it. What's up? Sorry. Look, I, I'm not going to kink shame anyone's weird lays. You know what? That's fine. <laughs> I mean, to each their own, I suppose. I mean, Marie does talk a lot about different lays in her lays, so we'll get we'll get into that. But anyway... For more wonderful commentary like this, join our Discord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is we're so on stuff. top of it. Yeah, we're we're doing great. Anyway, 
The Discord is alive and thriving and free to join. It's uh, Our links to it are in the show notes. We also have all of our other social media, so our Instagram, our Twitter for however long that stays alive, Mastodon, Tumblr, wherever you want to find us, you can find us. Just type in the Maniculum or Maniculum podcast and you'll find us somewhere. And as always, please do engage with us. We love hearing from you. The Discord is always popping you know, between memes and articles and book recommendations. There have been really good book recommendations and wonderful tidbits of history and TTRPG stuff that I just had no idea about. So it's always a learning experience for me too. But anyway, all those things are available. We also have a Patreon if you would like to support the podcast so that we can continue working on our NPR voices. (laughs) and so on and so forth. So that's also available. Links for everything are in our show notes. We also always have our citations and sources and all that good stuff down there. So with all of that out of the way, let's jump back into Marie de France. For those of you who don't remember perhaps who Marie de France is, she is Marie of France. This is a 13th century collection of weird Breton lays that Marie has compiled for us. We don't actually know who Marie is as an individual. There's a couple good guesses. She could have been an abbess. She could have been someone in the court in England. We're not quite sure. But we do know her name is Marie, and she wrote all of these wonderful, weird stories. And these Breton lays kind of have weird Celtic origins. So we see a lot of the beautiful chivalric themes of King Arthur. We also see some weird and cool fairy lore throughout them. So just really cool. Like wherever, whatever you think of when you think of like fairy tale, like once upon a time, this is kind of where that comes from. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that and like the oral tradition, but I think Marie de France is also drawing from the oral tradition. So yeah. Same thing. So there are 12 different lays. We have already done the lay of the werewolf is how our project Gutenberg calls the lay of... I'm going to get his name wrong again. Can you say it for me? I think it's Bisclavre, but... Bisclavre, Bisclavret, however you want to say it. I don't know, I can't pronounce it. French either. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we've already done that one. That was one of our Halloween episodes. And then last time we did uh, Lanfall or Lanval, depending on how it's spelled. It always changes. Which was a surprising experience for me because I had read the Middle English version and not yes. realized they were different. It's funny how these variations can come across. So today, I figured we would start at the very top, and I would read her little prologue by way of dedication. So she's writing this little mini prologue to the king, and the lay of Guigemar, which also has various spellings. It looks like Guigemar is how like you would Americanize it, I suppose, but it's Guigemar. So what, like, G-U-I-G-M-A-R? G-U-I-G-E-M-A-R. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or just G-U-G-E-M-A-R. Depends. The spelling is... I'm going to call him Giggy. Giggy. (laughs) Oh, no. That works, too. All right. Or Guige. I don't know. I kind of like Guige. Guige is also good. So we're going to jump into that. But funnily enough, when I was going through this, I saw his name and was immediately reminded of immediate tangent, I know. But I was immediately reminded of the Witcher 3 DLC Blood and Wine, which is set in this fantasy French court called Toussaint. And 
it's beautiful and wonderful. And I loved playing through it because you take Geralt, this like grim, dark witcher character into essentially the world of chivalric King Arthur, the lays of Marie de France. And so he literally walks in and all the knights around him are thrown off by the way that he speaks very plainly because they're using all this elevated high language. And the first thing you do is you go in and you defeat a giant and it's very um, King Arthur. And what's the, what's the, the giant that he defeats? Oh, I don't remember if he has like a proper name, but he's the, he's the giant of Mont, Mont, Mont Saint Michel. Yeah. Yeah. It's this beautiful little island monastery in France, but, but you go in and you immediately do that. And then you go through and the entire story of the game is deconstructing and playing with these chivalric stereotypes. And so like you go to a tournament and you can compete and you're kind of you as Geralt are going through and deconstructing all of this and making fun of it. But anyway, if you haven't played it, it's very, very fun. I would highly recommend it. You don't need to play the rest of The Witcher to understand like what's going on here. But you'll recognize all of these lays as you go through. So anyway. Question. What did you say the name of the Frenchy court was? Toussaint. How is that spelled? Oh, Lord. Uh... T-O-U-S-S-A-I-N-T. So like the Haitian revolutionary. Yes, like the Haitian revolutionary. That's a cool choice. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So Toussaint is a small autonomous duchy under the banner of the Empire of Nilfgaard, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it's fantasy France is what it is. It's very fun. Okay. But anyway, back to real history. Because that's what Marie's writing, obviously. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to ask you another tricky question. Yes, go for you it. You said that the thing you're about to read is like her prologue to the king. Yes. Which king? We think it is Henry the Fourth. Let me check okay. my notes. Henry the Second. Sorry. Likely Henry the Second, but we're not quite sure. All right. All right. But that's the time period. That's sort of the vibe. So here we go. Here's our actual dedication. And reminder that there are various versions of this text. You can uh, find it in verse. A lot of these stories were originally written in verse. I am not reading an English version in verse because this was written in like a weird French dialect in verse. And generally speaking, I think that when you're saying true to a translation, it's very hard to do that when you're trying to translate it into verse in a different language. So Mm -hmm. I picked the prose version. Yeah, fair. All right. Those to whom God has given the gift of comely speech should not hide their light beneath a bushel, but should willingly show it abroad. That's referring to a biblical verse in which you don't hide a light behind like a basket or a bushel. You should show it. That's the point of having a light. So this is an analogy she's using. Okay. See, I was about to say that's a very modern turn of phrase, but I guess it's just that we still make biblical allusions. Correct. contemporary but it's not yes it's yes absolutely not if a great truth is proclaimed in the ears of men it brings forth fruit a hundredfold but when the sweetness of the telling is praised of many flowers mingle with the fruit upon the branch what it's a very poetic way of saying like when truth sounds pretty it's even better than just speaking the truth interesting interesting i like it i think it's a pretty way of saying it because it's like truth brings forth fruit but if you say it in a pretty way, then you have flowers that are among the fruit. Yeah, I feel like that's a good like metaphor for saying like, hey, your writing style matters. Yeah. 
Like, maybe not as much as the content itself, but it's still important. But it is still important. According to the Witness of Prussian, it was the custom of ancient writers to express obscurely some portions of their books, so that those who came after might study with greater diligence to find the thought within their words. The philosophers knew this well, and were the more unwearied in labor, the more subtle in distinctions, so that the truth might make them free. I'm going to ask you another tricky question, but sure. since, since you have a classical education, you might be able to answer offhand. Who's Priscian? Good question. This is a like English version of his name. This is Priscianus Caesarensis. He is a 6th century Byzantine grammatical teacher. Grammarian? Grammarian. Thank you. That's the word. All right. There you go. Yeah. Grammarian. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, this is alluding to... The fact that when you wrote histories, quote unquote, you would source your things. You're like, oh, well, you know, Aristotle once taught that that this happened or like I heard from Ovid that blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you didn't. But okay. So you're like hiding truths, like hiding snippets in your work to kind of make it more real, even if it's not. So like how the Perlis Vows author claims everything comes from Josephus. Yeah, exactly. Or Jeffrey of Monmouth did the same thing. Yeah, Mallory does the same thing. Yeah, it's very common. Even the, um, I love this, the history of pirates that was written in the 1700s. It was like 1770-something. Mm -hmm. Even that is like, oh, I collected this from some long-lost book. It's like, no, you didn't. These are all, like, stories. Yeah, yeah, and, mo and most of it is not historically accurate. No, no, none of it. I just listened to the cool people who did cool stuff episode about pirates, so I know that. Pirates are just... I also know that <sighs> the common attribution of that book to Daniel Defoe is inaccurate. Oh, it's entirely inaccurate. And the captain that it is also commonly attributed to, I can't remember his name. I think it was Captain Charles something or other. That's also not accurate either. Yeah, it's just some guy. It's just some guy. Or gal, you know, who knows? Who knows? Also, I love that like a pirate's career usually lasted no longer than five years. Well, it's a dangerous profession. It is a dangerous profession, but like, what a retirement if you can manage that. I feel like that's pretty sensible. Like, it's high risk, high reward. In five years, yeah. you've probably either made enough to retire or gotten killed. Yeah, you're good to go. Okay, anyway, back to Marie. To set evil away from me and to put away my grief, I purposed to commence a book. We don't know what grief or evil is besetting her, but here we go. I considered within myself what fair story in the Latin or Romance I could turn into the common tongue, but I found that all the stories had been written, and it scarcely seemed the worth my doing, what so many had already done. Then I called to mind those lays that I had so often heard, and I doubted nothing. For well I know that our fathers fashioned them, that men should bear in remembrance the deeds of those who have gone before. Many a one, on many a day, the minstrel has chanted to my ear. I would not that they should perish, forgotten by the roadside. In my turn, therefore, I have made them a song, rhymed as well as I am able, and often has their shaping kept me sleepless in my bed. So she's directly making the claim that she's just writing down something that's from the oral tradition. Yes, 100%. Because she, she kind of wants to give herself a little legacy, but she doesn't know what to write. And everything that has been in, like, the classical tradition, she feels has already been done. And so she says, like, what, what can I do? And so she turns to her own culture, which I think is really cool. Yeah. In your honor, most noble and courteous king, to whom joy is a handmaid, which, what a phrase. 
Joy is a handmaid. I like I like that. No, he j- he just had like a servant girl named Joy. It's fine. <laughs> that could also be. And in whose heart all gracious things are rooted, I have brought together these lays and told my tales in seemly rhyme. Ere they speak for me, let me speak with my own mouth and say, Sire, I offer you these verses. If you are pleased to receive them, the fairer happiness will be mine, and the more lightly I shall go all the days of my life. Do not deem that I think more highly of myself than I ought to think, since I presume to proffer this my gift. Hearken now to my commencement of the matter. All right. And this too, this little, like, Sire, I've written this for you. I'm just but a humble poet. Is also very, very common. Like Cicero did this. Virgil did this when he wrote the Aeneid. And like, he has the gall to be like, oh, I'm not that good of a poet. He wrote the fucking Aeneid. Like, bro, bro, you knew what you were getting into. You wanted to write an epic that matched the Iliad. So you did. And he also made that big spinning city. True, and he was a necromancer. What (laughs) can't Virgil do, really? Like, a true Renaissance man before his time. I love the lore surrounding Virgil. What a guy. One of these days, I'm going to get a hold of the original text that that comes from, because I know what it is. There's just not a public domain translation of it. Oh, yeah, we have to do that. Okay, so anyway, we are jumping into the Lay of Guigemar. And this is the very first one. And so she begins. Hearken, O gentles, to the words of Marie. Which I think this is a really cool gender neutral phrase for like gentlemen and ladies. It's just, O gentles. Like, nice. Anyway, hearken, everybody. (laughs) When... (laughs) When the minstrel tells his tale, let the folk about the fire heed him willingly. Listen to the minstrel. Hearken, ye. Hearken, y'all. What? (laughs) Yeah. For his part, the singer must be wary not to spoil good music with unseemly words. Listen, O lordlings, to the words of Marie, for she pains herself grievously not to forget this thing. The craft is hard, then approve the more sweetly him who carols the tune. But this is the way of the world, that when a man or woman sings more tunably than his fellows, those about the fire fall upon him, pell-mell, for reason of their envy. They rehearse diligently the faults of his song, and steal away his praise with evil words. I will brand these folk as they deserve. They, and such as they, are like mad dogs, cowardly and felon, who traitorously bring to death men better than themselves. Now let the japer, and let the smiler with his knife, do me what harm they may. Verily, they are in their right to speak ill of me. Okay, so I like the, hey, be nice to your poet. Mm-hmm. And then the sudden, like, not like those other people who get envious and attack poets, which, what? And the smiler with his knife? Yeah. What? I, d- I don't have another word for this. Like, there's not, there's not, like, a a different term here. Like, smiler just means, like, someone who is smiling. All right, then. That's creepy. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. So, creepy smiling guy with a knife meme. So, anyway, after this lovely warning, I suppose, hearken, O gentles, to the tale I set before you, for thereof the Bretons have already made a lay. I will not do it harm by many words, and here is the commencement of the matter. According to the text and scripture, I... Now relate a certain adventure, which be chanced in the realm of Brittany in days long gone before. In that time when Arthur maintained his realm, now in peace, now in war, the king counted amongst his vassals a certain baron named Oridiel, 
This knight was Lord of Leon and was very near to his prince's heart, both in council chamber and in field. Was Brittany part of Arthur's empire? It was at a, at a certain point, yes. Okay. Yes. That's in the archaeological record. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it was one of those things where they like fought. Because remember, because he crossed over the British Channel and mm-hmm. like in Geoffrey of Monmouth, Arthur crosses the British Channel and because it's like a liminal space or whatever, he sleeps on the boat crossing and has a dream where like a bear is fighting an eagle, I think. Right. That's the Cold War. you could interpret it as such that's the thing with these like dreams so he goes to merlin and he's like interpret this dream and merlin's like oh my lord you are the i don't remember which one it was he's gonna be the bear arthur means bear yeah you're the bear devouring the eagle like you're gonna you're gonna take over Brittany and be fine future mac here I've checked Geoffrey of Monmouth, and I think I found the relevant passage, but it seems to be a bear and a dragon, wherein the dragon represents Arthur, and the bear represents the aforementioned giant. So, unless there is another similar passage in Geoffrey of Monmouth, I believe that our past selves are incorrect in this. And then... This interpretation of the dream was always changed to whatever political thing was going on at the time. So Cold War might very well be apt. So there you go. Anyway, so about Oridiel, there's this knight, Lord of Leon. From his wife, he had gotten two children, which is the weirdest phrasing I've ever read. Yeah, she didn't give birth to them. He just bought them from her. He just got them. And what is a son and what is a daughter? And then we get really weird names. Nogent, he named the damsel, and the son, Guijmar. Well, she is Nogent. Damn it, Mac. (laughs) You're right. It could be, I don't know how you would pronounce this in a a French way, Nogent, but you say the N-T, I don't actually know, so we're going to call her Nogent. Alright, and what's the son? Uh, Guijmar. Oh, of course, yes. Yes. His mother had set all her love upon the lad, and the father showed him every good that he was able. When the varlet was no more a child, Oridiel sent him to the king to be trained as a page in the courtesies of the court. This was fairly common for the day and age. Right serviceable was he in every station, and meekly praised of all. The term of his service having come, and he being found fitting gears and knowledge, the king made him a knight with his own hand and armed him in rich harness all according to his wishes. I know that means like he, he knighted him, but my first image was like the king like sculpting a little toy knight out of clay and then handing it to him. <laughs> you made him a knight. There you go, bud. <laughs> so Guijmar gave gifts to all those about his person and bidding farewell took his leave and departed from the court. So like once you've been made a knight, then you have to go be a knight errand and like wander around doing good and knightly things. So Guijmar went his way to Flanders, being desirous of advancement, for in that kingdom there was ever strife and war. Due to Flanderization. (laughs) I suppose. I really enjoy this version of basically what we see in Viking and early English texts. We see the same tradition of, hey kiddo, go to the court, go become a warrior, and then... Once you, you've grown up, you go off with the king's lads and go fight for a while and then come back. 
It's yeah. the same tradition. It's just written in like a knightly or more chivalric way. Yeah, it's basically the fairy tale. Like, and he went off to seek his fortune. Except, like, yeah. you have to be. Except, there's a formal element to like you have to become a knight first. First, yeah. So neither in Lorraine nor Burgundy, Anjou nor Gascony might be found in that day a better knight than he, nor one his peer. He had but one fault: sense of love. He took no care. There was neither dame nor maiden beneath the sky, however dainty and kind, to whom he gave thought or heed. Though had he required her love of any damsel, very willingly would she have granted his desire. Many there were who prayed for his love, but might get no kiss in return. So seeing that he refrained his heart in this fashion, men deemed him a strange man, and one fallen into a perilous case. Would you say they deemed him a queer man? I would say so. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, and I'm curious to see one fallen into a perilous case. Is this is this subtext that they're like, oh, he won't go for women, but... I mean, Marie does, like, as I recall, she pretty directly alludes to that being a concern in Lanval. So mm -hmm. I feel like it wouldn't be a stretch to say, like, that might be what people are thinking in this circumstance as well. Yeah, so... They might be concerned that he is a homosexual, but he could also just be an ace icon. You know, either one. Better representation than Percival so far. Yeah, true. So, in the flower of his deeds, the good knight returned to his own land that he might again see his father and lord, his mother and his sister, even as he very tenderly desired. He lodged with them for the space of a long month, and at the end of that time, had envy to hunt within the wood. Had envy to hunt? What? He wanted to go hunting. Okay, interesting phrasing. We're being very flowery with our language here. The night being come, again, like, very weird phrasing. So, when the night came, yeah. Guige summoned his prickers and his squires. The translator's doing this on purpose. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well... I don't actually... Okay, you might have to OED this one. I'm pretty sure that pricker means like rider or something, but yeah, I've got the OED open already. Let me just check. Okay, that makes sense because this was old slang for a penis. A person who spurs or rides a horse. Okay, that makes more sense. Oh, there we go. Definition B is a mounted attendant at a hunt. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's cool. So, prickers and squires... And so they get up at dawn and ride into the forest. Great pleasure had Guishmar in the woodland, and he much delighted in the chase. A tall stag was presently started, and the hounds, being uncoupled, all hastened in pursuit, the huntsman before and the good knight following after, winding upon his horn. Guishmar rode at a great pace after the quarry, a varlet riding beside, bearing his bow, his arrows, and his spear. I feel like we should clarify here, because this is the second time we're seeing a varlet. That just means a young man. It has a more negative connotation nowadays, like, oh, a varlet, but it just means a young guy. Yeah, it's it's actually, this is another case, I think we might have talked about this before, but this is another case of any word that means someone not of the ruling class gradually becomes an insult. Because mm -hmm. varlet specifically means, like, someone who is an attendant or servant. He followed so hotly that he overpassed the chase. I don't know what this means in technical hunting terms. I've never been on an English hunt, but I guess that's like he went too far ahead of where the stag is. 
Or at least uh, ahead of the um, the rest of the hunting party. Yes, his prickers. Yes. Gazing about him, he marked within a thicket a doe hiding with her fawn. Very white and wonderful was this beast, for she was without spot and bore antlers upon her head. The hounds bayed about her. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If this deer has antlers, why does he think it's a doe? Because there's a it has a fawn. Maybe it's just a very involved father. It could be. Are there deer, female deer, that have antlers, or is that only a male thing? Because I know female caribou have antlers. Let me ask the internet. I feel like this is something Marie would know. Okay, it does happen very occasionally. It's a result of a hormonal imbalance in the doe in question. Oh, so this is like a special doe. It's it's pure white and it's got antlers. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. The hounds bayed about her, but might not pull her down. Guijmar bent his bow and loosed a shaft at the quarry. He wounded the deer a little above the hoof, which is a really bad shot. He hits her in the leg, so that presently she fell on her side. He's a shitty shot. Okay. But the arrow glanced away, and returning upon itself, struck Guijmar in the thigh. So it bounced <laughs> off her leg? Yeah, it, it's like a boomerang arrow. And it, so it hits the deer in the leg, and then it comes back and hits him in the thigh. So he falls off of his horse. And so he's like laying here next to the deer. And he heard her sighs and groans and perceived the bitterness of her pity. And then, with mortal speech, the doe spake to the wounded man and said, Alas, my sorrow, for now I am slain. But you, vassal, who has done me this great wrong, do not think to hide from vengeance of thy destiny. Never may surgeon and his medicine heal your hurt. Neither herb nor root nor potion can ever cure the wound within your flesh. For that, there is no healing. The only balm to close that sore must be brought by a woman, who for her love will suffer such pain and sorrow as no woman in the world has endured before. And to the dolorous lady, dolorous knight, for your part, you shall do and suffer so many great things for her that not a lover beneath the sun, or lovers who are dead, or lovers who have yet to have their day, shall but marvel at the tale. Now go from hence and let me die in peace. So the doe has just cursed him with compulsory heterosexuality. Yes. By saying, like, you will not ever have that wound healed unless, like, a woman who loves you brings you balm. Is, 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 is that what she said? Essentially, yes, but also, like, both the woman and he are going to suffer mm. in their romance. Like, this is a tragedy that is about to happen. Also, this sounds familiar. I think that this same motif with, like, a wound that has to be cured by balm from a lover, I think that's in one of Chrétien de Troyes' romances, or Chris of Troy, as we might also call him. Heck yeah, Chris. I want to say it's from Yvain. I think it is, and I think that story is, like, an earlier version of that story is also in Marie's lays. Okay. We will get there. I'm thinking we should do that, like, side by side. Okay. Like side by side reading. Yeah, but I also want to point out here that um, this is the second talking deer that we've encountered. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it's, like, a deer. We don't really see, like, talking lions or bears or something. I think there was a talking lion in Perla's house. I don't, but was it, did it talk? I thought there was just the lion who really liked the dog. They were like best friends. That was the griffin who liked the dog. Perlispouse oh, had a lion who went with him to kill the king of Castle Mortal. I don't oh, remember actually right. whether it talked. I don't know that it talked. Anyway, we have a lot of talking deer. Yeah. That's another weird motif. 
And as we learned from our very first Guest of Romanorum episode, don't listen to Talking Deer. They don't, never say anything it. good. It's not good. It's never good. Like, that was actually what I thought of as soon as you were like, they are pursuing a stag. I'm like, oh my god, is the stag going to tell him he has to kill his parents? <laughs> well, it's worse. <laughs> So, Guishmar was wounded twice over, by the arrow and by the words that he was so dismayed to hear. He considered within himself to what land he must go to find the healing for this hurt, for he was too young to die. He's like, I'm not gonna die here, I gotta go find this woman. That is actually a great curse, like, you, young man of ambiguous sexuality, have to go have a toxic heterosexual relationship. That's a great curse. 10 out of 10. He saw clearly and told it to his heart that there was no lady in his life to whom he could run for pity. You have a sister. Yeah, but that's... We're talking lover romance here. The dough is pretty clear. Hmm, there. I feel like that would be a good loophole to go like, it's familial love. That's true. We could frozen this whole scenario. I've never actually seen that one. Something something, it was a metaphor for depression and also it wasn't about true love but familial love. There you go, TLDR. Also, could I just say that, like... This is a poorly constructed curse. Don't do this when you're when you're DMing because now we're involving this poor innocent woman who is also going to be cursed. And she doesn't like I don't know. Like the only way that this would work is if like some other deer has told this uh, this woman like oh you will also be cursed and you deserve it. Otherwise we're just pulling this woman into this for no reason. Well, actually you know I was going to say that like well, Zoe, you know women aren't people, but this is written by a female <laughs> author, so I feel like she probably does yeah, not have that there's no excuse. Ugh. Okay, anyway, so, Guijmar calls his varlet before him and says, Go forthwith and bring my comrades to this place, for I need to speak with them. And also, I can't really move because I've been shot in the leg by myself. I shot myself <laughs> in the leg. The varlet went upon his errand, leaving his master sick with the heat and fever of his hurt. When he was gone, Guishmore tore the helm from his sh the hem from his shirt and bound it straightly about his wound. He climbed painfully upon the saddle and departed. Didn't they? Did, was isn't someone coming to get him? Yes. Stay there, man. Medical attention is <laughs> on its way. Yeah. Okay. And then we get the weirdest phrase I've ever read, and I think it's a typo because. I don't know how to read this, but anyway. He departed without more ado, for he was with child to be gone before any could come to stay him from his purpose. What? He- I think it was- he was- he's laboring to be gone. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but that's the dumbest phrasing I've ever read in my life. He was with child to be gone? Like, how convoluted can you get? What? Uh, go figure. A green path led through the deep forest into the plain, and his way across the plain brought him to a cliff exceedingly high and to the sea. So this is like the coast of England. Well, I guess the coast yeah. of Brittany. Guijmar looked upon the water, which was very still, for this fair harborage was landlocked from the main. So it's a lake? Maybe if it's just like the entrance to the harbor is very narrow. Narrow? Yeah, which okay. Which would not well, technically be landlocked, but... I don't know, poetic sure. license. I suppose. Upon this harbor lay only one vessel, bearing a rich pavilion of silk, because apparently in all King Arthur stories, they just have pavilions everywhere. I mean, you know, people like camping. Camping's fun. This is true. I guess I just figure, like, if they, they never say the word tent. It's always pavilion. A pavilion is just the evolved form of tent. 
I, I guess. It's glamping. Yeah. It's a glamping tent. They are glamping. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the ship bears a rich pavilion of silk daintily furnished both without and within, and well it seemed to Guishmar that he had seen this ship before. Beneath the sky was no ship so rich or precious, for there was not a sail, but was spun of silk, and not a plank, but from keel to mast, but showed of ebony. So this is like dark, rich wood. Is ebony a good material to make a ship out of? Like, it's it's dense, right? I, I guess, but it's still wood. I mean, I guess we make ships out of, like, metal, so, like, it doesn't have to be a, a material that floats. Yeah, there you go. Too fair was the knave for mortal man, and Guijmar held it in sore displeasure. What? Too he fair? marveled greatly. What? what was what? Too fair was the ship. Oh, okay. The naval vessel. He marveled greatly from what country it had come, and wondered long concerning this harbor and the ship that lay therein. He just said he'd seen it before. He thought he did. He's not sure. Guijmar got himself down from the horse and upon the shore, and with mighty pain and labor climbed within the ship. He, he's just, he's like, I'm I'm interested in what this ship is. I'm going to get on board. He's just getting on some random person's ship. Yes. Mm. He wanted to find the merchantman and sailors therein, but there was none to guard and none that he saw. Now within the pavilion was a rich bed carved by cunning workmen in the days of King Solomon. This fair bed was wrought of cypress wood and white ivory, adorned with gold and gems most precious. Right sweet were the linen cloths upon the bed, and so soft the pillow, that he who lay thereupon would sleep were he sadder than any one in the world. Like, like you know a good depression nap? Yeah, but he's, he's doing a Goldilocks. Yes. Yes, 100%. Fair. Also, I just looked it up. And not only can I not find any indication that you can make a ship out of ebony, because, in fact, the only results I get from that are about video games and model shipbuilding. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, ebony sinks in water. Oh, no. Like, it's wood, but it's very dense wood. I see. I, gu I guess it's a magical ship. I think they just picked, like, this is, this is an expensive exotic wood. Yeah, yeah. None of these stories have any basis in reality. What is physics? Right. But again, people make ships from metal, so like there's a way to do it, but still. Yeah. The pavilion was litten by two great waxen torches. What a word, litten. Litten, yeah. Not not lit, just litten. Litten. The pavilion was litten by two great waxen torches placed in candlesticks of fine gold, decked with jewels worth a lord's ransom. Question. Yes. What is the difference between a waxen torch and a candle? I mean, <laughs> our author just told us that Guijmar was with child. <laughs> he, he was working so hard. So I'm going to say that this is just bad writing. Okay. Or it could be like wood that's been dipped in wax. Like it could be like a torch that's been dipped in wax. And that's then, fair. You know, and then put in a candlestick. And then litten and put in a candlestick. <laughs> so the wounded knight looked upon the ship and pavilion, bed and candle, and marveled greatly. Guijmar sat himself down upon the bed for a little while because of the anguish of his wound, and after he rested a space he got back to his feet so that he might quit the vessel, but found that there was no return for him. A gentle wind had filled the sails, and already he was on the open sea, so this is not a landlocked harbor. Like, we went out of the bay mm -hmm. and onto the ocean. When Guijmar saw that he was far from land, he was heavy and sorrowful. I really like the medieval description of 
a person, like, it's not just their countenance has changed, it's also their weight. Like, they become heavy with grief. Yeah. I I miss that kind of description in modern writing. You're a writer, you can use it. Bring it back. I'm gonna. I will. I think I will. Alright. He knew not what to do by reason of the mightiness of his hurt. So he's, like, delusional with pain, which is, I guess, the reason he decided to go riding off when he just called for his friends to come get him. Also, by the way, I looked it up, and there is such a thing as a wax torch, and it is basically what you described. It's wood that's been dipped in wax. See? Look at that. I'm a, I'm a little proud of myself for figuring that one out. <laughs> All right. But Guishmar had to endure the adventure as best he could, and so he prayed to God to take him into the Lord's keeping and his good pleasure to bring him down in a safe spot and deliver him from the peril of death. Okay, so am I missing something, or is what just happened is he, like, he was waiting for medical attention, and then yep. he decided to bind up his wounds and just ride off in a random direction. He reaches a harbor, yes. sees a ship, and he's like, that ship looks vaguely familiar, but I'm not sure why. It's super fancy. He goes on board, he falls asleep, mm-hmm. And the ship just leaves with just him on it. And now he's out in the open ocean by himself. He didn't fall asleep. He got on board because he wanted to, like, check with whoever owned the ship. He's like, hey, have I seen this ship before? But there was nobody there. Mm -hmm. And because, I guess, like, climbing down the cliff face was a lot for him in his wounded state, he just, he he rested a minute. Mm -hmm. But by the time he got, like, back above, above deck, the ship had gone out into the open ocean. So now he's stuck. Okay. This is a series of inexplicable decisions. Yes. So now he gets onto the bed and sleeps. Is he feverish? Is his wound infected and, like, damaging his brain processes? It does say that he did not know what to do by reason of the mightiness of his hurt. Okay. So I would say yes. Yes, fever. He's a little delusional here. He's He's got a fever. And so he's like, well, I'm on the open ocean. I don't know how to sail a ship. <laughs> There's no crew, so I'm just going to take a nap. (laughs) Which, like, honestly, I understand. I would do the same thing. No, I get that. If I found myself, like, on a ship alone drifting off to sea, my first thought would basically be like, screw it, I'm I'm just going to go to sleep. We're going to take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. I may as well resign myself to whatever's happening. Yeah. So... Listeners, those of you who remember that Breton lays kind of come from the Celtic tradition might also remember the pattern of the extra in Irish folktales. Mm-hmm. And the extra, there's there's another word. I can't remember it at the moment. But it's this journeying. It's like this little pilgrimage. You go off across the ocean to that land, like some distant land, have an adventure, and then come back. This is that tradition a couple hundred years later. Yeah. It's the same thing. The connection is there because uh, Brittany is called Brittany because it is uh, where all the refugees from the English invasion of the 6th century, when the, quote, Anglo-Saxons, unquote, invaded mm-hmm. Britain, refugees fled to coastal France, and that was, that was Brittany. Yes. 3rd to ninth century were the waves of immigration. Yes. Ah. So anyway, Guijmar has now... Decided to take a nap until vespers, so until evening, where the ship drew to Haven, where he might find healing for his hurt. And Guijmar had come to an ancient city, where the king of that realm held his court and state. The king was full of years and was wedded to a dame of high degree. I guess she got her PhD. Yeah. The lady was of tender age. I don't like that. <laughs> well, she was. she's a prodigy. She got her PhD very quickly. Yeah, but she's married to an old king. 
I mean, that's going to work out great for her in like 10 years. That's that's true, but I don't like the implications between now and then. Yeah, maybe she did it on purpose. I guess. Probably not, but like, I'm trying to make this better for her. Because she was of tender age, passing fresh and fair and sweet of speech to all, the king was very jealous of his wife beyond all measure. I don't like passing fresh. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. And it's also not great that the king is, like, guarding her, he's, like, jealously. Yeah. He's like, no, this is, you know. I do want to appreciate the return of the phrase, full of years, though. Yes, that is a good one. Such is the want of age, for much it fears that old and young cannot mate together, and that youth will return to youth. This is the death in life of the old. I, well, I mean, yeah, man. <laughs> yep. Like, what, what do you want us to say? Like, yes. Like yes. this old man with his young spouse is like, oh, me, I, I'm worried that she might prefer someone her own age. And like, yeah, man, she probably yeah. would. Yep. <laughs> the castle of this ancient lord had a mighty keep. Beneath this tower was a right fair orchard, together with a close, a, a close. I think that's like a garden. Ah, uh, yes. The OAD says that it can be used to mean an enclosed place or an enclosed field. That makes more sense. There's an orchard, you got a field, shut in by a wall of green marble. Very strong and high. Oh, they found the Emerald City! Yay! <laughs> they made it! Although, although, I, ha I have to be, I have to be pedantic here. Okay, alright. In the original book, the Emerald City is not actually green. That's true, it's just the glasses. They, they wear green glasses, yeah. That's right. So that everything looks green. I think they actually ditched that in later books, but then in the first book it was. It was like yeah. That. This wall had only one gate, and the door was watched by warders, both night and day. I like that it's warders, not wardens. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I that's like better. that. We have, we've got litten, warders, prickers. Like, the vocabulary in this story is fun. Well, I wouldn't want my city being watched by wardens, because that's... I mean, my, like, 21st century association is they're not going to let us leave. Wardens are for that's keeping people fair. in. I guess I've got a, a more archaic <laughs> understanding of warden. But yeah, that's fair. That's fair. On the other side of this garden was the sea, so that none might do his errand in the castle therefrom, what? beyond in a boat. Like, if you want to leave, you gotta get on a boat. Okay. It's an island. Okay. I don't like this next sentence. To hold his dame in greater surety, the king had built a bower within the wall. There was no fairer chamber beneath the sun. The first room was the queen's chapel. Beyond this was the lady's bedchamber, painted all over with shapes and colors most wonderful to behold. On one wall might be seen Dame Venus, the goddess of love, sweetly flushed as when she walked the water, lovely as life, teaching men how they should bear them in loyal service to their lady. And when he wanted to visit his wife, he would go to this bower and call Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Down your hair. Yeah, that's the vibes I'm getting here. I do like that he's basically got Botticelli's Venus painted on the wall, though. He does. And on the other wall, the goddess threw off its book within a fire of coals. A scroll issuing from her lips proclaimed that those who read therein and strove to ease them of their pains would find from her neither service nor favor. So this is still Venus. This is just Venus chucking, I guess, the metamorphoses, metamorphoses? I have to assume. Into a fire. Yeah. And she's got a speech bubble. That's nice. And Yeah, she's got a speech bubble that if you read Metamorphoses, you're screwed when it comes to love. Why? Oh, wait, no. Hold on. Hold on. I need to check something. 
Okay, I'm interested that you have a solution to this because I am at a loss. It's been a while since I read Metamorphoses. Ovid is best known for Metamorphoses, but he did also write a book called Ars Amores. Amatoria. That's right. Which is basically about uh, this is how to pick up chicks. It is. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad, too. And I think the current like meta on this text is that most of it is a joke. Like, it's not made to be taken seriously. I had to translate part of that in college. I remember that. So, in this chamber, the lady was put in ward, and with her, a certain maiden to keep her company. This damsel was her niece, since she was her sister's child, and there was great love betwixt the twain. When the queen walked within the garden or went abroad, this maiden was ever by her side. Okay, wait. Are we to assume that, like, this woman is actually an adult and not, like, as young as we were thinking? Or is her sister significantly older than her so that her niece is, like, closer to her same age? It just says that she's young in years, so you could read this either way. Okay. But, aside from this damsel, neither man nor woman entered the bower, nor issued forth from the wall. Only one man possessed the key to this postern, an aged priest, very white and frail. This priest recited the service of God within the chapel and served the queen's plate and cup when she ate meat at table. So, like, she's stuck Mm -hmm. on this island with this old priest and her niece to keep her company. That's it. I mean, and presumably her husband. Like, I have to assume he visits... Nope, he's not. No, he's not there. Well, he might visit, sure, but he's not there. Mm. Now on a day, the queen had fallen asleep after eating, and on her awakening would walk a little in the garden, which like 10 out of 10 schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, if I'm going to be under house arrest. You know, have a, have a nice meal, take a nap, <laughs> go out in the garden. And then go go walk in the orchard. She called her companion to her, and the two went forth to be glad amongst the flowers. As they looked across the sea, they marked a ship drawing near the land, rising and falling upon the waves. Honestly, I gotta say, this sounds like a pretty good deal. Like, yeah, she's stuck on an island. I know. But, like, she's got a friend, and she doesn't have any responsibilities, and she lives in a garden. Like, this sounds nice. Yeah. Like, if I had some books, like, that's, like, the perfect writing retreat, to be honest. Yeah. Like, get me a minstrel. I'd I'd be pretty, that'd be pretty good. It's kind of bullshit that, like, this wasn't her choice, but... Right. It still sounds like a sweet deal. Yeah. Very fearful was the queen when she saw the vessel, for as it came to anchorage, there was no helmsman to direct the ship's course. The dame's face became sanguine for dread, and she turned about her to flee because of her exceeding fear. That's interesting, actually, because like in like modern imagery, we usually say someone goes pale with fear, but it sounds like she's doing the reverse. Her face is becoming yeah. red with fear. She's flushed, yeah. Her maiden, who had more courage than she, stayed her mistress with many comforting words. For her part, she was very desirous to know what this thing meant. She hastened to the shore, and laying aside her mantle, climbed within the wondrous vessel. Thereon she found no living soul, save only a knight sleeping fast within the pavilion. The damsel looked long upon the knight, for pale he was as wax, and she deemed him dead. She returned forthwith to the queen, <laughs> He's not doing and told great. Yeah, he's really not. I'm surprised there's not, like, blood all over the sheets, but okay. He's out of blood. I guess. So she tells her about this. Let us go together on the ship, replied the queen. And if he be dead, we may give him a fitting burial, and the priest shall pray for his soul. Yet should he be alive, and he will speak, then he will tell us of his cause. Without any more waiting, the two damsels mounted the ship, the lady before and the maiden following after. When the queen entered the pavilion, she stayed her feet before the bed for joy and grief of what she saw. It's like both, I guess. Like, 
this is very much a Rapunzel. Like, she's never seen another living man besides these two old men. And all of a sudden, there's this hot knight laying on the bed. She didn't grow up here, right? Like, presumably she had a childhood somewhere else and met people. True, but still. Like, it's been a while. Yeah, fair. She might not refrain her eyes from gazing on the knight. I don't remember men being so feverish. Is this normal? Her heart was ravished with his beauty, and she mm. sorrowed beyond measure because of his grievous hurt. So she's overtaken with lust for this bleeding, wounded man. Well, I mean, I guess it's been a while. Maybe her standards are lower. I guess. To herself, she said, in a bad hour cometh the goodly youth. She drew near the bed, and placing her hand upon his breast, found that the flesh was warm, and that the heart beat strongly in his side. Guijmar awoke at the touch, and saluted the dame as sweetly as he was able, (laughs) for he had come from a Christian land. Interesting, interesting. I'm going to guess that that, that in this case, saluted is like salutation, like it just means greeted, but I like the image of him waking up and immediately doing like a military salute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I love that. It's drilled into him from King Arthur's court. He's like, nope. At ease, like, you know. <laughs> the lady, full of thought, returned his salutation right courteously, though the tears were yet in her eyes. Straight away, she asked from what realm he had come, and from what people, and in what war he had taken his hurt. Ooh. I shot myself, lady. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be an explanation. <laughs> yeah. Lady, answered Guige, in no battle did I receive this wound. If it pleases you to hear my tale, I will tell you the truth, and in nothing will I lie. I am a knight of Little Brittany. Yesterday, I chased a wonderful white deer within the forest. The shaft with which I struck her returned on me and caused this wound on my thigh, which may never be healed save by one damsel in the world, and I don't know where to find her. Hold on, hold on. Yes. The wound is on his thigh? Yes. I assume it was lower on his leg. No, it's on his thigh. So, listeners... Go, go on. Go on. The reason this face. is relevant is because in in medieval romances, a wound on the thigh is often a polite way of saying a wound in the junk. Yes. So... Not necessarily. Right. But maybe. But there's a 50-50 chance here that he actually shot himself in the... Yeah. Yeah. When I heard my luckless fate, I left the wood with what speed I might, and coming to a harbor... I lighted upon the ship. For my sins, I climbed therein. Then, without oars... What? (laughs) (laughs) Like, basically, he's saying, like, I'm an idiot. Like, because I'm a dumbass, I got on board. That's fair. I thought it was more of a, like, oh, no, I did this as intentional penance, not as, like, some random stupid whim. Then, without oars or helms, this boat ravished me from shore. Reminder that ravishment in this period means, like, kidnapping. Yeah. (laughs) So that I know not whence I have come, nor what the name of the city is. Fair lady, for God's love, counsel me of your good grace, for I know not where to turn, nor how to govern this ship. He's like, I don't know what's going on. I got in this self-driving ship, and it just took me away. (laughs) It took me somewhere. I blame Lord Musk. Yeah. (laughs) The lady said, Fair sir, willingly I shall give you as good counsel as I may. This realm and this city are an appendage of my husband. He is a right rich lord of high lineage, but old. He is jealous beyond all measure, and therefore it is that I see you now. 
By reason of his jealousy, he has shut me fast between high walls, entered by one narrow door, with an ancient priest to keep the key. May God requite him for this deed. Night and day, I am guarded in this prison. Quick vocabulary note for the listeners. This is a distinction that's been kind of blurred in modern English, like we don't really recognize it anymore. But it used to be that jealous and envious were two different things. Mm-hmm. Envious was you wanted something someone else had, and jealous was you didn't want other people to have the things that you had. Which yeah. is why she's describing the king here as jealous, is because he's keeping her keeping from, her. from like interacting with other people. He's hiding her away and treating her like a, a possession. It doesn't mean that like he wants something from someone else, like it would have if we used the word today. Yeah. Night and day I am guarded in this prison, from whence I may never go forth without the knowledge of my lord. If it pleases you to dwell here for a little, till you may pass upon your way, right gladly shall we receive you, and with good heart we will tend to your wound till you are healed. So they're both, like, sharing their backstories here. Yeah. Little info dumpy, but I can forgive it, because, you know, we gotta get up with the exposition, they gotta explain what's going on. I mean... Like, I'm inclined to say, like, well, that's that's what you would do in a, in a D&D game. It's like, all right, everyone share your backstories. But, like, it's also, I feel like, what you would do in real life. Like, if some guy mysteriously washes up in your garden, you're going to go, like, hey, what's your deal? Mm-hmm. And if you wash up in some garden that you don't know anything about, you're also going to ask, hey, what's your deal? Like, what's, your, what's up with you? I feel like it's natural for them to go, like, okay, this is this is what's going on with me. Right. Guijmar thanked the lady with many sweet words and consented to sojourn with her in her hall a while. He raised himself upon the couch and by courtesy of the damsels left the ship, leaning heavily upon the lady. At the end, he won to her maiden's chamber, where there was a fair bed covered with a rich docile of broidered silk edged with fur. A rich what? Docile. D-O-S-S-A-L. It is an ornamental cloth hung behind an altar in the church or at the sides of a chancel. So when he's situated in bed, the damsels come bearing clear water in basins of gold, and they stanch the blood with a towel of fine linen and bound the wound strictly to his exceeding comfort. And after the vesper meal was eaten, the lady departed to her own chamber, leaving the knight in much ease and content. Now Guige set his love so fondly upon the lady that he forgot his father's house. He thought no more of the anguish of his hurt because of another wound that was beneath his breast. He tossed and sighed in his unrest and prayed the maiden of his service to depart so that he might sleep a little. So he's like telling the handmaiden to go away. Okay, I have a question. Sure. So there are a few ways to interpret this and I want to know which one you think is like the most reasonable. Oh boy. So earlier we were speculating that Guige was queer in some way. Yes. And now he's having feelings for this woman. And so the question is like, is he actually into women and he just hadn't found one he liked? Or is he not into women, but he's like kind of making himself be because he knows that's a requirement to lift the curse? Or Or was he cursed with heterosexuality? I like the middle two, to be honest. Like, I like the one where he's like, okay, I guess I gotta... Which is interesting. It's an interesting reading. But I also like the one where he's just cursed with heterosexuality. He's like, oh, 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 sh**. Why do I feel this way? And he's like panicking about it. Yeah, I kind of like that best, honestly. Yeah. The, the idea yeah, that the deer's curse, like, because it required him to be in love with a woman, it also, like, screwed with his sexuality. In a, yeah. Because that's like, that's a messed up curse, but like in an interesting kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one that I... I I think is entirely valid to read into this text. Like, I, I think the text supports it. 
And I wouldn't be that surprised if that was something contemporary to this time, but is not something that former scholars would have read. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, because, you know, like the Victorians are like, oh, what, what, I, homosexuals don't exist. But for the day and the age, like we already, in Lanval, the queen was like, are you queer? Are you a gay Lanval? Is that why you don't think I'm pretty? Yeah, Guinevere and got so, really homophobic. <laughs> yeah, she got really homophobic. So there's, there's so much queerness in all of these stories. But then, like, we look at this one and it's like, was he was he literally just cursed with, with heterosexuality? Because it says explicitly in the text that he is not into women. Yeah. I think that's a totally valid reading. I think there's a paper there, honestly. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good one. That's a good, that's, yeah. All right. So, alas, says he, what shall I do? Shall I go to my lady and pray her pity on the wretch who has none to give him counsel? If she refuses my prayer because of her hardness and pride, I shall know there is not for me but to die in my sorrow or at least go heavily all the days of my life. So he's recognizing that he's in love and he's like, how do I tell this lady that I need her to love me back? Then he sighed, and in his sighing lighted on a better purpose, for he said within himself, doubtless, that he was born to suffer, and that the best of him was tears. I feel like this is pretty straightforward. He's been told, like, okay, you're cursed to be in a toxic relationship in order to cure this wound. Yep. And he can just be like, hey, lady, I have this curse, and Mm -hmm. I know that sounds, like, deeply inconvenient, but I am also literally the only man on this island. True. So, like... True. You want to just go with it? Like, maybe it's going to be messy, but we'll both get something out of it. I feel like that's totally an option. But like the the thing that he does now immediately is he's like, no, I can't inconvenience this woman. So I'll just suffer. That's my solution. I don't want to be in love. So I'll just suffer. I don't want to be straight. I'll just suffer. This is a very medieval choice. Yes. Just bring me the hair shirt. Yep. And so all night long he was spent in vigil and in groanings and in watchfulness. To himself he told over and over her words and her so he's like picturing her in his mind and going over it over and over again. He remembered the eyes and the fair mouth of this lady and all the grace and sweetness which had struck like a knife in his heart. Between his teeth he cried on her for pity, and for a little more he would have called her to his side. Ah, had he but known the fever of the lady, and how terrible a lord to her was love, and how great had been his joy and solace. So, he would have felt better if he had known she was into him too. Yes. Instead, he's just obsessing on her in what may be an unhealthy way for someone you just met. Correct. Well, he is cursed. Yes, he is cursed. And feverish. You can't forget that he has a fever. That's true. The lady rose early from her bed since she might not sleep. She complained of her unrest and of love to rode her so hardly, which, damn, what a line. Love rode her so hardly? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's that's great, actually. Good job, Marie. You slipped that one in there. (laughs) I wonder if that's like a reference to the uh, folk belief of, like, being hag-ridden. Ooh. Or like a, like a succubus? Yeah. Yeah. I would believe it. The maiden saw clearly enough that all her lady's thoughts were set upon the knight, who, for his healing, sojourned in the chamber. She did not know whether his thoughts were given to the dame. So, like, the maiden is like, I wonder if he's into my lady. Mm-hmm. 
Therefore, when the lady had entered the chapel, the maiden went straight away to the knight. He welcomed her gladly, and bade her be seated near the bed, and inquired, Friend, where now is the lady, and why did she rise so early from her bed? Marie, I have a complaint. <laughs> Can you give these women names? That would be great, actually. There are two women, and just going like, the maiden, the lady, the dame, just give them- I'm like, a- I know, it's so confusing. Hmm. Having spoken so far, he became silent and sighed. So he's like, so lovestruck. He's like, ah, like, okay. We're really loony toosing. Sir, replied the maiden softly, you love and are discreet, but be not too discreet therein. In such love as yours, there is nothing to be ashamed. He who may win my lady's favor has every reason to be proud of his fortune. Although seemly would be your friendship, for you are young and she is fair. Sorry, what? Basically, she's also into you, and you guys are both young and pretty. Okay. And a good match. Okay, okay. Yeah, that sounds that's that sounds much more normal than the way that they said it. Yes, yes. And so Guijmar says, I am so love-struck with this woman. Please counsel me on how I may win her hand. And the maiden comforted the knight and assured him of all the good that she was able. So courteous and debonair was the maid. Hey, 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 buddy. It's not going to be hard. You're literally the only option. Yeah, it's, yeah. When the lady had heard mass, she hastened back to her chamber. She had not forgotten her friend, and greatly desired to know whether he was awake or asleep, of whom her heart was fain. She bade her maiden to summon him to her chamber, for she had a certain thing in her heart to show him at leisure. First, interesting phrasing. A certain thing in her heart to show him. Yep. Um, hmm. (laughs) But now that I have kind of a queer reading of this story in mind, I have to also wonder, like, is this something Guige is thinking when he... Because he sounds, like, way less confident than, like, again, you should be as literally the only option. Is he thinking, like, do you two have, like, a thing going on? I mean, they're, like, they're technically related. Yeah, does he know that? I don't think so. It's not stated that he knows that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. And also, like, if if he's coming from an asexual perspective, then he might assume that of her. True. I can see having to have the conversation of, like, look, is is she into men? Are you, like, her partner? Oh, no, I'm I'm her niece. Like, it's not a thing. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. Guijmar saluted the lady again, so, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And the dame returned the knight his courtesy, but their hearts were too fearful for speech. So they're both, like, into each other. They're doing the whole, like, are we, aren't we thing. Because neither of them have any experience with this. No. But, as says the proverb, he who will not tell of his sore may not hope for balm to his heart. Love was a privy wound within the heart, and none knoweth of that bitterness but the heart alone. I'm not reading the rest of this proverb. It's very long and annoying. How long? It's a whole paragraph. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's very much like, Many there be who make love a gibe and jest with specious words to defame him by boastful tales. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm not reading it. It's right, weird. right. Anyway, she has something in her heart to show him. Let's get to that. Yes. Lady, I die for your love. I am in fever because of my wound. That's <laughs> how you start? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. And if you cannot heal my hurt, I would rather die. I pray for your grace. Do not gainsay me with evil words. And the lady replies, Friend, yay is not a word of two letters. As in, like, yes is not a word of two letters. She's she's like, I'm not going to say no. I do not grant such a prayer every day of the week. 
and you must have your gift so quickly, lady, cried he. For God's sake, pity me, and take it not amiss. She who loves lightly may make her lover pray for long, so she may hide how often her feet have trodden the pathway with another friend. But the honest dame, when she has once given her heart to a friend, will not deny his wish because of pride. The rather she will find her pride in humbleness and love him again with the same love he has set on her. So they will be glad together, and since none will have knowledge or hearing of the matter, they will rejoice in their youth. Fair lady, is this your pleasure? <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna need you to like summarize that and also explain what that bit was about treading the path with another um i think it's he's basically saying like come cheat with me because nobody's gonna know about it oh well i feel like he could have said that in a, in a much more sensible way yeah it's very strange because he's first saying like oh if if a lady doesn't like love her lover seriously she can hide how often she cheats, but the honest woman will not deny her man and, like, won't, she'll be honest, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, oh, but nobody will know if we cheat. So he's being very strange in this paragraph. Yeah. I blame the fever. Yeah, fair. When the lady heard these words, she found them well, honest, and true. Therefore, without further praise she... and ado... Without further praying and ado, she granted Guijmar her love and a kiss. Henceforward, Guijmar lived greatly at his ease, for he had sight and speech of his friend, and friend, and many a time she granted him her embrace and tenderness, as is the wont of lovers when alone. All right. For a year and a half, Guij dwelt here in solace and great delight. Yeah, like why would you leave? Then fortune turned her wheel. Yeah, but that means that for a year and a half, the king is not coming around to see his wife. I mean, he might have. They can just hide him in the cellar or something. Maybe, I guess. Then fortune turned her wheel, and in a trice cast those down whose seat had been so high. Thus it chanced to them, for they were spied upon and seen. On a morning in summertime, the queen and Demiseau, the maiden, sat together. Oh, now she gets a name. No, that's not a name. Oh. Oh, oh, that's... Yeah, that's that French word that's like mademoiselle with the first yes, part. Yes, but the dame part, yeah. yes. The knight embraced her, eyes and face, but the lady stayed him, saying, Fair sweet friend, my heart tells me that I shall lose you soon, for this hidden thing will quickly be made clear. The plot is coming. If you are slain, may the same sword kill me. But if you win forth- She thinks there's combat coming? Okay. Why? For what reason? I don't know. But if you win forth, I know well that you will find another love, and that I shall be left alone with my thoughts. Where I parted from you, may God grant me neither joy nor rest nor peace, if I would seek another friend. So she's like, if you leave me and fall in love with some other woman, then if I find another lover, may I forever be cursed. Like, she's cursing herself. Hmm, hmm, that's not healthy. But also, weird. Yep. So she's just sitting with him, and then she's like... So I assume you're going to have to fight someone soon. And he's like, what? Who? What? Why? Where? What? <laughs> Hello? And then she's like, and then you'll find someone else and I will die. And I will die alone. Oh, so sad. Where is this coming from? What are you talking about? Well, then it gets even better because 
Thus I will set a knot and make this covenant with you, that neither will you put your love on dame or maiden, save only on her who shall first unfasten this knot. Then you will ever keep faith with me, for so cunning shall be my craft that no woman may hope to unravel the coil, either by force or guile, even with her knife. What? Why are we doing this knot thing? Why not just agree to, like, be faithful? <laughs> what, what's the knot about? She wants insurance. But the knot, is, is the knot, like... It's a magic knot. Is it, like, actually preventing him from finding another lover? Or is it just, like... Because she's asking, like, will you promise not to sleep with anyone except the person who undoes the knot? Why not just say, would you promise not to sleep with anyone? Because I think it's a, a chastity device thing. Oh, the reason that I say that is because, for his part, the knight took a fair girdle and girt it closely about the lady's middle. Right secret was the clasp and buckle of this girdle. Therefore he required of the dame that she would never grant her love save to him only who might free her from the strictness of that bond without injury to band or clasp. Then they kissed together and entered into such a covenant as you have heard. Hmm. I'm trying to find uh, when chastity belts were invented, but it's... I'm having trouble finding... Anything fairly accurate. A page that's informative and not just a store. <laughs> Fair. That very day, their hidden love was made plain to men. I guess because, like, she's wearing it now. According to Wikipedia, there is no credible evidence that they existed before the 15th century, which would hmm. be after Marie de France. Yeah, that's true. But maybe Wikipedia is not aware of this. Whoa, whoa, there are some very explicit pictures on this page. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Scrolling down and like suddenly... <laughs> suddenly... <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, well, let's move on then. Mm -hmm, A certain mm -hmm. chamberlain was sent by that ancient lord, like the old man, with a message to the queen. This unlucky wretch, finding that in no way could he enter within the chamber, looked through the window and saw. Forthwith he hastened to the king and told him what he had seen. Did they not know that someone was coming? I guess not. Hmm. Bad looking out. Yeah. I guess they don't rely on the priest to, you know, let them know. I mean, I don't think there's any indication the priest is in on it, so they should be, like, watching Careful. out for him, too. Yeah, yeah. When the aged lord understood these words, he was distraught. He called together the most trusty sergeant of his guard, and coming with them to the queen's chamber, bade them to thrust into the door. When Guijmar was found therein, the king commanded that he should be slain by the sword. Guijmar was in no whit dismayed by the threat. He started to his feet, and gazing round, marked a stout rod of fur, used to hung hang linen. He, it's, a, it's a clothing rack. If I were Guige right here, I would have some pointed questions about like, Hey, um, sweetie, how exactly did you know that there was about to be a fight? Like, yesterday? Yeah, yeah. I guess she got a vibe. <laughs> it's not entirely sure. I mean, she did, like, cast the little knot spell. So she's kind of a witch, so I would, I would trust her vibe. All right. So he grabs the stick, and facing his foes, Bid them to have care, for he would do a mischief to them all. Good phrasing. Excellent work. He's, do a mischief, indeed. The king looked earnestly upon the fearless knight, and inquiring of him who he was, where he was born, and in what manner he came to dwell within the house. Good questions. Also, where are your clothes? <laughs> indeed. So Guishmar, so they're like standing there, right? Like, swords out. Not a, not a metaphor. Swords out. <laughs> 
staff in hand. Well, this is a metaphor for Guiche. Yeah. And Guishmar just tells them the story of his fate. So, like... I hope he does it dramatically, you- like gesturing with the staff. <laughs> I hope so. We're just politely listening, like, hmm, yes. Mm. Right, okay, yes, indeed. The king replied that he gave no credence to his word, nor believed that the story ran as it had said. <laughs> He's like, you're bullshitting me. If, however, this magic vessel might be found, he would commit the knight again to the waves. He's gonna kick him out. And when they had entered into this covenant together, they went forth to the harbor, and there discovered the magic ship, even as Guijmar had said. So they set him thereupon, and prayed him to return unto his own realm. Go away. Back in your self-driving ship. Yes. Be gone with you. Which you cannot, in fact, steer, so like, who knows where it will take you? That's your problem. That's your problem. So, without sail or oar, the ship parted from the coast with no further tarrying. The knight wept and wrung his hands, complaining of his lady's loss and of her cherishing. Hmm. Her, her cherishing. Mm-hmm. He prayed that mighty God would grant him a speedy death and never to bring him home, save again to meet with her who is more desirable than life. Whist he was yet at his orisons which is like praying Mm -hmm. while he's praying the ship draws again to the port from whence he had first come now mind you his friends presumably showed up in the forest there's like a blood trail to the coast and there's nothing there and then a year and a half later guishmar shows back up and gets out of the ship oh we thought you drowned yourself in your feverish madness right where have you been and so he he had gone but a little when he was aware of a squire of his household riding in the company of a certain knight. The squire held the bridle of a destrier. Destrier is the type of horse. Destri destrier. Oh, a medieval knight's warhorse. I like this. See, I just I read all these words and I never know how to pronounce them. So he's holding he's holding this horse even though there's no man on top of the horse. It's just the squire, another knight, and then the squire is holding, like, leading this horse. Guijmar called to him by name, so that the varlet, looking upon him, again knew his lord. He got him to his feet, I guess Guij was sitting down, and bringing the horse to his master, set the knight thereon. There was a merry feast when Guijmar returned to his own realm, but though his friends did all that they were able, neither song nor game could cheer the knight, nor turn him from dwelling in his unhappy thoughts. Wait, so who was the knight that was on the horse when they showed up? I have no idea, it just says a certain knight. Alright. For peace of mind, they urged him to take himself a wife, but Guij would have none of their counsel. Never would he wed a wife on any day, either for love or for wealth, save only that she might first unloose the knot within his shirt. Yeah, so this is like a chastity belt sort of thing. Are you sure? Because it says it's in his shirt. Yeah, I I mean, I guess maybe it's over his chest. But it's tied to him, and he he won't have sex with anybody unless they can loosen it. I'm just saying, it, it feels like that's a voluntary decision. I don't True. Which means, why does the knot even exist? I guess, I don't know. I guess, well, I guess it gives him, like, an excuse. Like, instead of just saying, like, no, guys, I'm not going to marry, you can go, like, no, there is a mystical reason they have to be able to undo this knot. The, yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Also, it's sort of like Cinderella. It's like, oh, if the shoe perfectly fits, then, I'm, then I know it's my lover. Mm-hmm. So if, if she can undo the knot, then I know it's her. Why would you not know it's her? You lived with her for a year. You know what she looks like. Let the magic story be a magic story, Mac. <laughs> I'm just saying, this supports my theory that all knights are face blind. This, you know, this is true. So he gets back and they're like, 
Squeeze, you should get married. Yeah. They're like, you know, you know what would help your like moodiness? Sex. He n- now mind you, he's never shown a proclivity for sex before. Right, that's what makes it weird. <laughs> then why would you suggest that to someone who whom you have never known to have any interest in women at all? I guess cuz he was he, like he was happy before. Like he was fine before. And now like he goes on this little journey and he comes back and he's really depressed and her like, well, it works for me. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it, it would also make sense if he told them where he'd been and they were like, oh, you do like women. Well, in that case, you should yeah. get married. Yeah, that makes more sense. But now we are cutting over to the lady. And by counsel of a certain baron, the ancient king set his wife in prison. More of a prison than she was already on in that island. Well, presumably, you know, a less nice prison. Yes. She was shut fast in a tower of gray marble, not green marble, mm. where her days were bad and her nights worse. No man could make clear to you the great pain, anguish, and dolor that she suffered in this tower, wherein, I protest, she died daily. Two years or more she lay bound in prison, where warders came, but never joy or delight. Often she thought upon her friend. So she's, like, actually in prison prison. Yeah. And now she has this beautiful monologue. She's gonna Shakespeare here for a minute. Guijmar, dear lord, in an evil hour I saw you with my eyes. Better for me that I die quickly than endure longer my evil lot. Fair friend, if I could but win to that coast, whence you sailed, very swiftly I would fling myself into the sea and end my wretched life. When she had said these words, she rose to her feet, and, coming to the door, was amazed to find therein neither bolt nor key. She issued forth without challenge from sergeant or warder. Wait, so she just walks up to the door and it's unlocked and unguarded? I guess. And then going to the harbor, she found the ship. Was it like that the whole time? I don't know! For two years? She never thought to check the door? That would be really funny if that was... That would be, yeah. (laughs) So I guess on this particular day, the magic ship is like, I'm just gonna unlock the prison door. And so she finds the ship at the dock. And when she saw the barge, she climbed thereon, but presently bethought her that it was on this ship her friend had gone to perish in the sea. So she thinks he's dead and shipwrecked, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why she would assume that. Yeah, like that doesn't make any sense at all. At this thought, she would have fled again to the shore, but her bones were as water, and she fell upon the deck. So she's, like, in such distress that, like, her knees give out, and she just, like, flops to the deck. (laughs) And so the vessel carried her across the waves to a port of Brittany. Does it just go back and forth between these two harbors? I guess. Is that just what it does? I would presume so. Who made this ship? Why why does it do this? Uh, Who knows? So she ends up in this port of Brittany guarded by a castle. Now the lord of this castle was named Mariatus. He was a right warlike prince and had made himself ready to fight the prince of a country nearby. He had risen very early in the morning to send forth a great company of spears, the more easily to ravage his neighbor's realm. Pro tip, you should also send soldiers to carry the spears. <laughs> Usually a good idea. Also, is this a different harbor then? Yes, okay. this one is, is different. Mariatus looked forth from his window and marked the ship which had come to port. He hastened down the steps of the Perron, P-E-R-R-O-N. It's that same, we had this in our in our last story, it's that little porch that doesn't have the roof. It's just the steps. Oh, yep. Yeah. And calling to the Chamberlain, came with what speed he might to the ship. Then mounting the ladder, he climbed up and stood upon the deck. When Mariatus found the lady, for whom beauty seemed rather fay than merely an earthly woman, he seized her by the mantle and brought her swiftly to his keep. Okay, so he goes onto a mysterious 
magic ship, sees someone who he thinks might be a fairy, but she's like passed out. Yep. And he just grabs her and drags her home. Yep. Bad decisions. You would not survive. In a, you're not going to survive this this romance. I'm calling it now. Yeah. He made no question as to who had set her on the barge. He knew only that she was fair and of high lineage, because if you're pretty, you have to be a noble. Right. And that his heart turned towards her with so hot a love as never before had he put on dame or damsel. That's not your heart, man. <laughs> yeah. Now there dwelt within a castle the sister of this lord who was yet unwed. Mariatus bestowed the lady in his sister's chamber because it was the fairest of the tower. Moreover, he commanded that she should be meetly and served and held in all reverence. So he's like putting her in this other prison that's better than her previous prison, but not as good as her first prison. Is the sister currently living in this chamber? I think so, yes. I do like the image of him just bursting into his sister's room and going like, I found this woman. She lives with you now. I guess. He sounds like a so I would I kind of expect this of him. Mariatus came often to cheer her with mirth and speech by reason that he wished to gain her love as a free gift and not by force. She's in prison. You've kidnapped this woman, trapped her in a tower, and you're like, oh, but I'm not gonna ravage her. That's too much. There's coercion anyway. Men. Yeah. I hate that. It's that's bad. That's bad. He thinks he's doing good. Men are pigs. It was in vain that he prayed for her grace, since she had no balm for his wound. For answer, she showed him the girdle about her body, saying that she would never give love to any man save for him who might unloose the buckle of that girdle without harm to belt or clasp. When Mariatus heard these words, he spoke in haste and said, Lady, there dwells in this country a very worthy knight who will take no woman as a wife, except she who can first untie a certain crafty knot in the hem of his shirt, and with that without force or knife. For a little I would wager that it was you who tied this knot. So he's making this connection. Yeah. Is this a face turn? Like, is he going to try and set them up, or is he... I don't know. Because, um, here we go. Oh, oh, I see. I see what's going on. This, this is all very, very strange. When the lady heard of this, her breath went from her, and she came near to falling on the ground. So she's, like, so shocked she's about to faint. And so Mariatus catches her and cuts the laces of her bodice so that she might have more air. So he's, like, loosening her corset, basically. Like, breathe, lady. Like, chill out. He strove to unfasten the girdle, but might not dissever the clasp. Oh, so he's still gonna try. Well, I don't know, because this could be like, I, I'm trying to help you breathe, but I can't get this thing. Or it could be like, well, while I'm here. I mean, it's just a belt. I can't imagine it's that much of a problem for her breathing. True, but I don't know. So now Mariatus made the lists ready for a great jousting. So he's going to have a tournament. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta have a tournament. Basically, it's a tournament for all the knights who would aid him in his war against the neighbor, mm -hmm. the neighbor dude. So he's like, who, who do I actually want in my circle? Since we're going to war, how about we beat the crap out of each other first? First. Good strategies. Many a lord came, and with them came Guijmar, because remember, he's still a knight, and he's still, you know, doing his little getting glory thing. Also, his parents are, and, and sister are presumably still hanging out. Yeah, like they, they just left the story entirely. They were just yeah, mentioning they're gone. Forgot. Why did they even give the sister a name if, they're, if she's not going to get a role? I don't know. They didn't give the main female character a name. But they gave no gender name. Yeah. Who knows? Mariatus had sent letters to the knight, beseeching him as a friend and companion not to fail him in this business. So, like, please show up. 
So Guijmar hastened to the need of his lord, and at his back more than 100 spears. So I, I guess Guijmar has like a little bit of a posse with him now. Well, you got it if you're a knight. Do you though? Like, is, I thought I thought lords had men and knights were kind of independent dudes. I mean, I think they still have like people around them. I guess. Because like he has those people who are attendants on the hunt and all that stuff. That's true. He's got like a small court. He's got a household. I'm sure some of them are, like, capable in a fight, and he's just bringing them along. That's fair. So in honor of his guest, the prince sent two gentlemen to his sister, praying her to attire herself richly and come to the hall, together with this dame. This they did as they were bidden, and arrayed themselves beautifully, and came together in the hall, holding each other by the hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Very pale and pensive was the lady, but when she heard her lover's name, her feet failed beneath her. And had not the other maiden held her fast, she does, she would have fallen on the floor. Guijmar rose from his seat at the sight of the dame. This is a a little sweet. This is a little cute. Like, they haven't seen each other in a couple years. Yeah. And there's, like, a tournament, and she shows up, and she's like, (gasps) And he, like, he bolts upright, like, very cinematic moment. That is the third time she's fainted in, like, a couple pages, though. So, like, I'm I'm concerned for, like, I don't know, her circulation? Like, there's something Yeah, she might be anemic. (laughs) Or she's just part fainting goat. I guess. He went a little apart, he's dissociating for a second, and said within himself, Could this be my sweet friend, my hope, my heart, my life, the fair lady who gave me the grace of her love? From whence come she who might have brought her to this land? But I speak in my folly, for well I know that this cannot be my dear. A little red, a little white, and all the women are thus shapen. I don't know what the f*** that means. First of all, I'm kind of enjoying the image that he's, like, doing a Hamlet and, like, turning to make a little soliloquy for <laughs> the fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me while I have a strange influence. But, like, what was that last bit again? Can you say that again? A little red, a little white, and all the women are thus shapen. I guess, but, like, she looks different. Maybe he, yeah. And she's, red and white. Maybe like, all he's the women talking are about, like, different. The, the clothing and makeup and all the other, like. Yeah. Like, all the fashion. He's like, well. Everyone wears this kind of thing, and it kind of hides their their like. Their, I think that's what it's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're all they're all dressed up in this way, so it's probably not her. Yeah, I'll be fine. Again, all knights are face blind. Yeah. Guijmar drew near the dame. He kissed her courteously and found no word to utter, save to pray that he might be seated at her side. Mariotta spied upon them closely and was more heavy because of their trouble. Therefore, he feigned mirth. Guijmar, dear lord, if it pleases you, let this damsel essay to untie the knot of your sark, if so she may loosen the coil. So he's like, do it, do it, bro. Yeah, so like, he he knows. Yeah, yeah, he's figured it out. Yeah, he, he, he seems but at least he's making, like, the decent person call here. Yeah, well, he kind of realized, like, oh, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna get this lady's love, Well, I'm so. not the main character in this story. Oh, okay. Guijmar made answer that very willingly he would do this thing. He called him to a squire who had the shirt in keeping, so he's not wearing it today. Well, I guess, like... He's just like... Yeah, you can't wear it every day. Yeah, grab the shirt. The lady took the sark in hand. She knew well the knot that she had tied so cunningly and was so willingly to unloose, but for trouble of her heart, she did not dare. Mariatus marked the distress of the damsel and was more sorrowful than ever was a lover before. Lady... She's hesitating. She's scared to do it. Why? I don't know. Maybe because she's worried about what would happen. Like, think about her life. She's been through all this trauma. Yeah, fair. It makes sense that she would hesitate. So she took the hem of the shirt and lightly and easily unraveled the tie. Okay, there we go. 
Guishmar marveled greatly when he saw this thing. His heart told him that this was his lady, but he could not give faith to his eyes. Friend, are you indeed the sweet comrade that I have known? Tell me truly now, is there about your body the girdle which I have girt for you in your own realm? He set his hands to her waist and found the secret belt yet about her sides. Secret belt. <laughs> and then she, he's like, how did you get here? So the lady told her friend all the pain and anguish and dolor of the prison in which she was held. But now, fair friend, all is well, for you hold your lady in your arms. Guishmar stood upon his feet and beckoned with his hand. Lords, he cried, hearken to me now. I have found my friend, whom I have lost for a great while. Before you all, I pray and require of Mariatus to yield me my own. Mm. Don't like that phrasing. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. For this grace I give him open thanks. Moreover, I will kneel down and become his liege man. For two years or three, if he will, I will bargain to serve in his quarrels, and with me of riders a hundred or more at my back. Then answered Mariatus, like, this is the the most blatant, like, use of women as property I think I've ever seen. Yeah, he's basically trying to buy her off him. Yeah. Then Mariatus answered, Guige, my fair friend, I am not yet so shaken or overborne in war that I must do as you wish right humbly. This woman is my captive. I found her. I hold her. I will defend my right against you and all your power. I, I cannot figure out what this guy's motivation is. I don't know, man. It's, I don't, I don't like it, any of it, but it's very strange. So when Guishmar heard these words, he got to his horse and he threw down his glove and parted from the tower in anger. He threw down his glove. Throwing down his glove is a, a challenge yeah. of combat. And so he leaves and they're like ready for this tournament. Not a knight of them, but all plighted faith to where he led and to hold himself recreant and shamed if he failed his oath. That same night, the band came to the castle of the prince with whom Mariatus was at war. He welcomed them very gladly and gave them lodging in his own tower. By their aid, he had good hope to bring this quarrel to an end. Very early in the morning, the hosts came together to set the battle in array. With a clash of mail and noise of horns, they issued from the city and gate, Guijmar riding at their head. They drew before the castle of Mariatus in strength and sought to take it by storm. But the keep was very strong, and Mariatus bore himself a stout and valiant knight. So Guijmar, like a wary captain, sat himself down before the town, till all the folk of that place were deemed by friend and sergeant to be weak with hunger. So they laid siege to it. Then he took that high keep with his sword and burnt it with fire. They pillaged it. The lord thereof they slew in his own hall, but Guishmar came forth after such labors as you have heard, bearing his lady with him to return in peace to his own land. From this adventure I have told you has come the lay that minstrels chant to harp and viol. Fair is that song and sweet is that tune. The end. I was in that castle you set on fire. Pretty much, I guess. Like, the ending is very quick. I, I was expecting like a, you know, like a, oh, thank you, Guishmar. I love you, Guishmar. Like, what happened to the old man? What happened to Guishmar's family? I think this one needed some more workshopping. I think it did. There's some good stuff in there, though. Yeah, yeah. All right. What say you? Best dialogue. I don't know if it's dialogue, but the one where it's like Guijmar was with child. <laughs> that's where was that? I mean, that's 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 just like worst narration or something. He was with child to be gone. Like really? He was laboring to be gone. That has to be a mistranslation. That's so bad. How about his opening? 
his opening to the lady. I die, I die for your love. See, the problem I'm having is that there's no good dialogue. There's just really bad dialogue. And I think it's there's probably really the translator's bad. fault. Probably. Okay, so here's a different version. Lady, he said, I die for you. My heart, it languishes anew. If you deign not to heal my ill, I, in the end, must perish still. I ask you of your loving kindness. Deny me not your tenderness. No, and the the, the rhyme is not working for me. It's This is why I didn't want to read the, the verse version. It's bad. It's rough. Yeah. I reject right. this segment for this. The, Fair the, the dialogue is not good. There is no best it's dialogue. It's not good. Okay. What's her bestiary? White horned does who can deflect arrows oh, and speak. Oh, yes. That's right. The doe. The white horned doe. That's cool, though, that you can actually have does with, with antlers. I like You that can probably have that. white ones, too. They might be albinos. Yeah. It's a super secret special magical doe. Yeah. d d Cursing somebody with heterosexuality. That is funny. That is great. I think it would be fantastic. Like, yeah, be careful. Like, make sure that like your player consents to it, and you deal with that like curse and romance in a good way. But if that's not the funniest thing, I like the idea that it's a side effect. That like the doe just assumed he was straight and was like, "Yeah, yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna have a really like turbulent relationship with a woman." He was like, "Oh man, I have to have a relationship with a woman now." <laughs> like that's the bigger problem. I kind of like that. But the curse, like, made it so he would actually have that desire. Yeah. Just side effect. I kind of like that as a quest hook or something. Like, oh, your destiny is, like, you're going to have, like, a great romance. And, your like, the character is like, well, fuck. I'm ace. <laughs> like, I don't want a romance. Like, what is it? Like, and, like, what are the different loopholes there? Like, okay, cool. If your character is queer, then maybe it's not a straight relationship. Like, the prophecy yeah. kind of assumes... Or maybe it's like, oh, you're legally married, but you're not into the whole hanky-panky thing, and that's not a part of the, the prophecy. Yeah. Like, there are so many cool ways that you can play with like, that. To be fair, asexual people can have relationships. Aromanticism is a separate yeah. thing. True. This is very true. I don't know. I like it. I think that's fun. I think that's a cool thing to incorporate. Yeah, agreed. A magical ship. Yeah, what's up with that thing? I don't know. It's just kind of a motif. Again, because we go back to this idea of the extra and like this magical journey going to like fairyland and then coming back. But you could very easily make a magic ship for your game. And it could even be literally like the magic plot device in terms of the players get on it and they don't have to pilot it. It just takes them where they need to go or yeah. they can magically set a destination and they don't have to crew it. I think that would be really fun because some people like don't like the whole like, I don't want to have to manage the ship. It's like, okay, cool. Give them a magical ship. Mm. I think they should have to manage the ship. Well, I do too. I think it's fun, but I think it's also cool because what about you have to manage the magical ship? Like, okay, you have to keep it charged up with whatever magic that you're using or, you know, make sure that the ship has the right place that you want to go. Yeah. Like, is it running off of vibes? What are, the, what are the checks that you have to roll there? I would want to do something that's much more like this ship. Kind of like the TARDIS, actually, where like, Ooh. it's really, really hard to control where exactly it goes. Like, you can kind of give it a hint, but, like, you can end up in the wrong place, like, for no reason. I like that. 
I like that. I think you just have to be careful with that because you don't want to feel like you're railroading your players. So maybe roll for it. Yeah, I was just going to say, you have to roll for yeah. it. You have to roll to set the destination. And if you get it wrong, they end up somewhere else. I like that. That's that's pretty good. What else? The Smiler with his knife. Oh, that is so creepy. Again, we have magical deer doing prophecies. Yep. That's pretty cool. You should include magical deer that do prophecies. Yeah, magical talking deer that do prophecies. I think this whole, like, damsel in the tower thing, like, this is a cool version of that. Yeah. I feel like it's it's better than Rapunzel. But maybe that's just because I don't particularly like Rapunzel. I don't know. I feel like, well, I was going to say... I feel like I like witches a lot better than I like old kings, but I would much rather be trying to fight an old king than a witch. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like that. That's kind of fun. Yeah. In terms of, like, rescue a damsel in distress, this is a pretty good variation on that theme. Because then you have to deal with the king, and it's not just, like, a standalone thing. You can make it part of a bigger campaign. I like that. You could mess with them a bit by having this same scenario, but have the damsel be like... Actually, I'm good here. Yep. I do love that version. Like, this is a nice place. My obnoxious old husband visits, like, once a year. Like, it's just not a big deal. It's fine. Yeah, we're fine. Leave me alone. Like, I don't like him, but I hardly see him. Right. And then maybe she's like, actually, though, I've been working on my witchcraft. Like, there's a bunch of spell books up here. So could you guys go get some things for me? Like, I've got my own stuff going on. But, like, if you want to help me out, you should bring stuff back to me. Yeah. I think that could be really fun. Yeah. That would be good. All right. Anything else? Could you make Guige like a character? I feel like he'd be kind of a funny NPC. Yeah, potentially. I mean, what would he be other than like a queer knight with a weird curse? Actually, you could probably do a lot with the weird curse. You could. I mean, you could have your players like help him solve his curse maybe. But I don't know. I just think all of these wonderful Arthurian knights, when you actually read the source text, they're all so weird. Yeah. They're so dumb. They're just so dumb. Like, Lancelot is over here doing his own thing. Gawain is, like, a fanboy of Lancelot who just won't hang out with, like, he'll be with women, but very particularly. Lancelot will sleep with anybody. Percival is, like, on a murder spree and not interested in women, or anybody for that matter, at all. And then Guijmar is, like, I don't know, obsessed with this one woman but otherwise is formerly ace. The parts of Percival's brain that would be used for interpersonal relationships have been taken over by additional murder. Yeah. Like, they're all just so weird. They could all be bad guys. Like, what if you have to take out all of the knights to get to King Arthur? Maybe he's the villain. I would play that campaign. That would be fun. Because, like, I know that they're usually presented as the good guys, but, like... But they're insane! Yeah, and also there's the whole, like... If you read it through, like, a post-colonial lens, Arthur is clearly the villain. Yep, that too. So, like, you could have a whole campaign like that. Yeah. Where, like, you're fighting against the, like, quote, good and pious king who is trying to conquer and convert your home country. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. That's fun. There you go. Ideas. Ideas. How many ages hence shall this, our lofty scene, be acted over? Echoes in modern culture? Do we have any? Chastity belts. I I guess that is a good one. Yeah, chastity belts. This is this is a very early version, yeah. I guess. Although apparently that's not how it actually works, since he took the shirt off. So like it wasn't any kind yeah. of physical impediment. It was just symbolic. It's a symbolic thing. 
But it's it, the symbology of it is still incredibly important to the idea. And they both did it. It's, it's like a vow, you know? That's interesting. That's cool. It's changed a lot since then. Yeah. I guess the, the whole damsel in a tower. Yeah, that's true. That's still around. That, that idea. Yeah. Damsel in distress. Trapped in a tower sort of vibe. That's still there. Which she does have more agency than I think we give her credit for. Yeah. She does get out of the prison and onto the ship and tries to do things. But she lives in a society where men have an extraordinary amount of power and have literally imprisoned her for decades. And she manages this despite her debilitating fainting disorder. <laughs> True. <sighs> Incredible. Incredible. That's all I can think of, really. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. The Tolkien tally. I don't think Tolkien took anything. Oh, actually, okay, there is one thing that Tolkien took from here. Mm-hmm. Potentially. And that is in the tale of Baron and Luthien, Luthien's dad gets really annoyed because he sends Baron off on an impossible quest to go win her hand in marriage, right? Yes, yeah. And she gets really mad at him. She's like, how dare you do this to my poor human boyfriend? And so he locks her in like a tower, like a tree tower. Mm -hmm. And she, I think... She either literally Rapunzel's and uses her hair or she uses like sheets or something, but like she magically escapes from the tower to go after Baron. So that's like the same sort of motif. All right. We also have magic ships in some of his lore. I don't know if that's directly informed from this tale, but we do we do kind of have magical ships. There we go. All right. Yeah. The Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Terminology. Docile. Docile. Ornamental yes. wall hanging. Yep. We also had, what What was it? Perrin? Perrin. The front steps? Yeah. Yep. And postern. Postern the gate. Ooh, postern. Yeah. A close for, like, an enclosed garden. We had litten. Litten. Which I would encourage everyone to use. A wax torch. Yes, good to know. Waxed torch. Also, it should be noted that specifically a postern is like a, a side entrance or a back door or, or a servant's entrance. Mm. Like it's the it's the not the main gate. Not the main doors. Those are all the ones that I can remember. Yeah, me too. Good words, though. Fun words. Yes. Street smarts. Street smarts. What are we learning? Still don't talk back to talking deer. Yes. Don't engage with the talking deer. No, no. Maybe just leave the magical looking deer alone. Yeah. That's a, that's a good idea. If you're having an illicit affair, station a lookout. Be aware of when your husband's coming by. Mm-hmm. Or his servants. Or his servants. Yeah. How about maybe don't just climb onto ships? Yes. At least ask to come aboard. And if there's nobody on the ship, don't get on the ship. It's not your ship. Yeah. Like, this is this is naval etiquette 101. You always ask to come aboard. Also, don't trust self-driving vehicles. Oh. They're just going to take you wherever and possibly catch on fire. Those Tesla stories scare me. They have really bad safety ratings, those cars. They freak me out. Yeah, I think it's mostly just a status symbol at this point. Like, they're not actually, like, good to have. They're not. They, they root me out. Don't like them. Uncomfortable. But yeah, don't don't get into self-driving vehicles, probably. Yeah. Can we just say this outright? Don't kidnap women. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, like, I, I feel like that's something that people should know. We all know, know this but one. Like, yeah. Yeah, let's put yeah. it out there. What else? I think that's, that's, those, we got some good lessons. 
If you're worried that your partner might like someone their own age, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should have that talk and figure things out and, yeah. I don't know, at least give them permission or something, you know? Or at least, like, don't lock them away. Yeah. Damn. If you're having that concern, figure it out in a more healthy way. Yeah, yeah. Also, that's kind of a you problem, my guy. That is definitely a you problem. Best moment. Mm, I think it's when the arrow ricochets. I thought that was just unexpected and kind of funny. That's a good one. That's a good one. Gosh. I kind of like the moment where, like, Guijmar sees this lady and, like, bolts out of his seat and then turns to himself and gives this little soliloquy, like, no, no, no. All these women with their makeup look the same. It can't be her. <laughs> and, like, sits back down again. Yeah, that is also pretty good. Like, out of context, like, if you were just looking at this happening, you'd be like, what the heck is that guy's problem? <laughs> I love that. I do love that. Or the two women, like, going aboard this boat and seeing this, like, pale, deathly dude just lying there. And this woman's like, I love him. Also good. It's just so weird. See, the problem is all the best moments here are, like, the characters make bad decisions. Yes, yes. These aren't, like, good moments in the text. They're just really funny. Because, like, you could also include Guige just deciding to get up and walk away instead of waiting for medical aid. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. He's such a dumbass. The court. Go for it. Oh crap, I'm You're first. first. I have to think of someone. Yeah. Um, all right, you know, all the characters here are flawed, but I'm going I'm going to go with the incredible fainting princess. Uh-huh. Cuz like she seems like she's got some stuff going on. Possibly magic, possibly just really good with knots, but like she's got some kind of skill. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Gosh, there's not really any other good options here. Like, I don't want what's his name, Mariatus. I don't want Mariatus because he lost the war. Also, he's kind of a. Dick. He is a. Dick. I guess I'll go with Guige. There you go. I gotta pick somebody. I'm gonna pick Guige because, like, for all of his dumb. He lived, and he did live happily ever after, presumably. So, And he is. We are informed that he is a good knight. We just yeah. don't see him making good decisions. He he did win the battle, yeah. you know. So, yeah. All right. Guijmar. Final rating. Let's rate this thing. See, well, what did I give Lonfall? That was an 8.5. I will say, I think Lenval had more to it. Yeah, I feel like it was a little more coherent. But mm -hmm. this is still, like, it's a fun story. It has people making bad decisions, but it's it's pretty entertaining. So I'm going to give it an 8. I'll match you there. 8 sounds good. Yeah. Because it's, it's fun, like, there is women with agency in it, but also it highlights more how shitty men are to women in this time. But also the ridiculousness of it all just ties it together. Yeah. Like, it is weird that literally everyone is just treating the fainting princess as property without, like... Yeah. And the author is not... doesn't seem to be commenting on this at all. No, no. Just weird, because, you know, you'd think weird. Marie would have thoughts on that. I'm sure she did, but it, it's sort of like... Did she want to stay true to the original spirit of the folktale? Or, like, what's going on there, Marie? Yeah, what, what's up? You know? But overall, it's fun, it's bizarre, it's strange, 8 out of 10. Yeah. And it's pretty short. It's short and readable. 
Yes, despite the fact that this is, is a like regular length episode, that's just because I have so many questions about this story that we kept stopping. It's fun though, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the Leech's Corner. This is one that I think you're aware of because I seem to remember you like mentioning it to me a while back. So like Oh, did I? I think you've heard of you've heard this one, but I'm gonna put it out there anyway. Okay. Alright, so this is Leech Book 3, Chapter 18, Bullet Point 1. Most of them are Bullet Point 1, because sometimes there's only one bullet point. For Wombwark, which is like... It's like stomach ache? Basically, yeah. Okay. And pain in the fatty part of the belly. Oh, the fatty part. When thou seest a dung beetle in the earth throwing up mold, catch him. Oh, I think we have read this. Oh no, okay. I think you sent it to me. I may have. Okay, so the, okay, dung beetle, keep going. When thou seest a dung beetle in the earth throwing up mold, catch him with thy two hands along with his casting up. Yep. Wave him strongly with thy hands. Oh no, okay. And say thrice, remedium facio ad ventris dolorum. So do that, pick up a beetle, wave it around, and say a magic little thing. Then throw the beetle over thy back away. Take care, thou look not after it. That's right. You can't you can't look at it again. <laughs> I mean, at least the beetle is probably fine. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like, had a really weird experience. It's like, uh, I can shake it up a little bit. Okay. When a man's womb or belly fat is in pain, grasp the womb with thine hands. It will soon be well with the man. For twelve months after the beetle, thou shalt have power to do so. That's right! This is the prepared spellcasting one that I love. I love it. I love it. So, the beetle thing isn't, like, <laughs> isn't what you do to cure your stomach problem. It's something you can do to give yourself the power to cure other people's stomach problems. I love that. And this is something that anybody can do. You, right now, can go out and find a dung beetle and shake it up a little bit, throw it over your shoulder, and say those words. And you, too, will have the power to cure belly aches. Fact. With the laying of hands. Scientifically proven. For 12 months. Yes. So mark your calendar when you do it. But otherwise. I don't actually know what parts of the world dung beetles are and aren't common in. So, like, who knows how available this is. Let's find out. All continents except Antarctica. Okay. So, yeah. There are dung beetles around. Go find them. Go find a dung beetle. Yeah. Huh. There you go. Yep. And now you know. Now you know. Try it. And knowing is half the battle. The other half is saying the words. Oh, I thought the other half of the battle was violence. Well, not in this case. You don't That's really true. well, I guess there's a little there's a little bit of violence involved in this in this cure. Only towards beetles. Only towards beetles. I think they'll live. Yeah. But there you go, listeners. Try it. Let us know if it works. This one, like, there's not really a downside here. See if you can like get a video of you trying this. Yeah. Let us know if it works. Please be nice to the dung beetle. Please don't kill it as you shake it and jostle it. But yeah, yeah. let us know. Yeah, be kind in your shaking and throwing. Yeah, a gentle toss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, with that, we will we will leave you to your day. Yes, yes, we will. And we will we will not see you, but you will hear us in the near future. Next time. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, check out our blog on themaniculumpodcast.com. And hey, come get involved in our community. We have a Discord group that you can join, and you can find links to our server on our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, our Twitter, at Maniculum, and our Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. Original music by Walker. Check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. When the minstrel tells his tale, let the folk sing. Oh, I I just decided to put the word sing in there. When the minstrel tells his tale, let the folk about the fire heed him willingly. For, yeah, I literally just, I I was like, oh yeah, sing, oh muse. <laughs> Chuck that word in there. I'm crossing too many traditions today. F- All right.